there is something amazing about being in the presence of holiness, mercy, and love. That's what my brother Andrew and I experienced the first time we met Jesus. We knew there had never been anyone like him before, and there never would be anyone like him again. It's what the other disciples and I breathed in every time we were with Jesus. You may doubt what I say. You may fear it. You may even wonder if it's true. But if you believe, there's probably a part of you that wishes you had been there with me. In the days of temple worship, we Jews depended on the high priest to go into the presence of God once a year on our behalf when he entered the Holy of Holies. 
because he placed within all of us the need to be with him and to know him fully. And that need being fulfilled in us every time we were with Jesus is what changed our lives and we were never the same again. Would a rabbi, the Messiah even, sit and speak to me, a Samaritan woman of questionable character? The Jews had absolutely no dealings with the Samaritans, and the Samaritans certainly didn't approve of my lifestyle. You know my story, how Jesus approached me, a Samaritan and a woman, for a drink of water. Then he told me he could give me water to drink, and I would never be thirsty again. Speaking with him that day, I felt different. 
Even knowing all about my past, he didn't condemn me. He didn't approve of my past choices, but he spoke to me as someone of value, with acceptance. Something about this meeting assured me that my life would never be the same after today. Just slip away and breathe his name. 
There is such power in the presence of God. He is the great I am. And yet his power is balanced by his overwhelming love. He loved us so much, even from the very beginning, that he made a way for our salvation. And he created everyone and everything that would make that happen.
at noon on the day of his crucifixion. The darkness was so great that it was like midnight. Three hours later, Jesus cried out from the cross, It is finished! And then he died. Though I had not followed him publicly, I went to Pilate and asked for permission to bury his body. Nicodemus and I wrapped him in linen cloth and laid him in a tomb that had never been used. How hopeless and final it all seemed. At dawn, before dawn, after the Sabbath, some of the women who had followed Jesus during his ministry went to the tomb to anoint his body. But what they found was the tomb was empty. The stone was rolled away. And an angel appeared to them and declared, Jesus is not here. He has risen. Go now and tell Peter and the rest of the disciples. Ah, this is the good news we never got tired of proclaiming. Death has been conquered by the cross. The grave has been swallowed up by his victory. Jesus is alive. Hooray! 
hill where Jesus died many times after that. Instead of it being a place of great tragedy, it became a place where I discovered how deeply God loved us and how much he was willing to sacrifice to redeem us. All any of us has to do is respond to his great love with trust and a willingness to follow him. shaped by the power and the glory of Jesus. And we celebrated his presence every time we gathered together after that. And the same could be true for you today if you believe that one day we will all sing in God's presence. Hallelujah to the one who was, to the one who is, and to the one who is to come. Praise to the Lamb that sits on the throne forever and ever. And may all honor and glory go to the great I am.
Jones, and the message is in great presentation of the event that took place almost 2,000 years ago. And I'd like to give the choir and our cast a big hand and our sound people as well. Amen. We have a special gift for Mrs. Kaminsky. As she, uh, Mrs. Kaminsky, why don't you stand up? This is a beautiful woman up here. She's my wife, my better half. Let's give her a hand for the wonderful presentation this morning. Amen and amen. Oh, I tell you what, was your heart stirred? Oh, you think about the songs that were uh, presented and the scriptures. I'm telling you, what a marvelous job. Thank you. Now I have to preach after that. That's pretty tough. Let me tell you. Powerful. Because it's true. And it's real right here. Amen. Amen. I don't know what was your favorite song, but I tell you what, I started liking them all, of course, but when they sang, uh, we are free. And I thought about that. We are free from the penalty of sin. We're free from the power of sin. And someday we're going to be freed from the presence of sin. That's what the resurrection is all about, isn't it? Uh, we believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And so as we uh, look at some things, let me quickly go over it. There's a lot of details here, and so put your uh, eyes on the screen if you can. But last week we talked about how that three chapters of the 89 chapters of the Gospels deals with his birth. And 30 chapters of the 89 uh, chapters uh, deal with his Passion Week. And that's what we talked about last week was his Passion Week. And as we went into the Passion Week, we brought this presentation up on the screen. You can see there it on the, uh, uh, as he comes in the triumphal entry a week ago, made his journey around in that week. And this morning what we are looking at is that he was brought back to the Garden of Gethsemane on Thursday evening, and there the Sanhedrin took him, arrested him, and then brought him, and you can follow it, to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, and then to, uh, to uh, Pilate, and then to Herod, and then uh, back where he was sentenced, and then he makes his way to the hill of Golgotha. An amazing event, and as we believe the Bible to be true, is not only historically true, but prophetically true. And that's what I'd like to focus a little bit on this morning, is the prophecies as we look and we, we see these prophecies there in Isaiah 53. And if you've got your Bibles, you could turn there this morning. I just want to read uh, something that was written some 700 years before Christ. Isaiah 53 says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Who's going to believe this, Isaiah says? Well, I'm telling you something. Now, almost 3,000 years later, 2,700 years later, we get the report and we believe it today. Amen to that? Now, listen to this prophecy, and many of you are familiar with it. Verse 3 says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid it was our faces from him. 
and he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he bore our grief, and he carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded. The word wounded there means tormented, tortured, for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement or peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Going down to verse 9. And he made his grave with the wicked. Now remember, this is 700 years before he came. <clears throat> he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Did you see the rich man come out? Joseph of Arimathea, because he uh, had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief and shall make his soil an, uh, soul an offering for sin. He shall, we shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. He shall see the travail of his soul, talking about God seeing the travail of his own son's soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquity. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoils with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. It's almost like you're reading one of the Gospels, isn't it? But yet this was written some uh, 700 years ago. You go into Psalm 22 there, and there in Psalm 22, as you read the scriptures, he says, again, this now is written by David a thousand years before Christ. He says, my God, my God, why has you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? Again, a thousand years. Verse 6 says, but I am a worm, no man, reproach of men, and despised by the people. In verse 7 it says, all those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out their lips. They shake their heads saying, he trusted in the Lord, yet him will we'll, uh, let him rescue him, let him deliver him since he delights in him. Well, again, that sounds almost like the gospel that we're reading. They gaped at me with their mouths like a raging, roaring lion. The Bible says I uh, am poured out like water, and my bones out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. Verse 15, my strength is dried up like a potiphar, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced, what? My hands and my feet. How long ago was this written? A thousand years before the event, 3,000 years from today. I cannot count all my bones. They look and they stare at me. They divided my garments among them. And for my clothes, 
a cast lot. This is in Psalm 22, written by David a thousand years before the event. Could a mere man record such a thing? Could this just be some fabricated story, or is this true? It is very true, isn't it? And we believe it today. I trust that you believe it as well, the very details. You know that night when he was taken and, and uh, the illegal trials that took place? There was one that was set free. Do you remember that? What was his name? Barabbas. Last week we looked at all the details that surrounded him coming into the triumph entry and all the prophecies that are fulfilled. Dr. Mike gave me a little insight into the name Bar-Abbas. Bar means son. Abba means father. Son of my father. Isn't that interesting? He was set free. And the son of the father was crucified on the cross. May God help us in all these details. He was taken off the cross. He was crucified at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And the Bible says that the Jews, as we looked at last week, they were getting ready for their Passover. And John 19, 31 says, Therefore, because of the preparation of that day, that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for this Sabbath was a high day. It was the Passover they were going to be celebrating the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken down. And so we know that the Lord was taken off the cross and buried in a tomb. And as that cross stood empty, we are reminded of that cross today. Because yes, the cross is empty. Amen to that. He died. He was buried. But that's not the end of the story. Is that not correct? <laughs> Matthew 27 gives us the account on the next day, which followed the day of the preparation. So now you've gone through the Sabbath, which started at 6 o'clock on Friday night and went till 6 o'clock on Saturday night. And I believe probably after that 6 o'clock on Saturday night, this portion of scriptures, following that next day, the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate. And they said, sirs, we remember while he was still alive, how that deceiver said, after three days, I'll arise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Lest his disciples come at night and steal him away and say to the people, he is risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. So Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way. I like these words, don't you? Make it as sure as you know how. Man's effort to stop God's plans will never work. They went out, they secured the tomb, and they sealed it with the stones, and they set the guard. And you all know this story. It's very familiar to all of us. And as we look at that, we're reminded that uh, they knew he was going to rise, or they thought the disciples had said he's going to rise. By the way, that also is recorded in the Old Testament. Psalm 16, verse 10. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, 
nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. The Lord Jesus Christ, in the beginning of his ministry, he said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And so they're very, very cautious of what would take place after those three days. But we all know Sunday's coming. Amen to that? Sunday's coming. You know, when the disciples went to the tomb, how many of them were looking for a resurrected Lord? Zero. The women came and they wanted to come and anoint the body. And as they came to that tomb, what did they find to their surprise? They were concerned who was going to roll away that stone. Let me tell you something. The evidence of the resurrection is not only found in the Old Testament, it is found in history, and it is found in the testimonies of the Scriptures, and it's found in our lives. He's alive today in my heart and your heart that has accepted Christ as your Savior. You know, the Bible talks about the failures of the disciples. You remember Peter's denial and all? Uh, you know that as they were walking around in fear and all uh, before the resurrection, what a change took place when they came to that tomb. The angel said, he is not here for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. They went into that tomb and what did they find? They found the headcloth, uh, the napkin folded. It wasn't that the disciples came and stole him. It was he was arisen from the tomb. Amen and amen. And the angel says, go tell your disciples, and I love this part of it, and who? Peter. Can you imagine Peter probably felt that as if everything had come to an end for him because he had denied the Lord. And the Lord in his love and his grace came and the angel said, tell Peter that he's arisen as he said. And he shows himself to those folks in uh, Galilee. He shows himself to 500 people at one time. He walks on the road to Emmaus with a couple of disciples. They didn't even know who he was. They were with the resurrected Lord. It is him who has come that is going to turn the world upside down. And one of the things, Brother Gary, you brought up to my attention. Remember doubting Thomas? He says, unless I can put my hands in his side or in his hands, I'll not believe. And when Thomas saw the resurrected Lord, he answered and said unto him, What? Let's say it together. My Lord and my God. Praise God for that. He is the Lord. He's the Savior. And He's our God. And these disciples wrote about it here. John in 90 AD writes about the story of Jesus Christ. He says, which we've heard from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which looked upon our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested. We have seen and bear witness and declare it to you, that eternal life, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. He's writing somewhere around 90 A.D. after he had been in exile on the uh, Isle of Patmos because of his faith. Listen, these men gave up their lives not for a fictitious story. They gave up their lives because of the true story of the resurrection. Even Paul, interesting, who persecuted the Christians on his road to Damascus, 
He was one of the greatest skeptics about the resurrection. You know that. He, his journey was to go out and to, to kill the Christians or to put them in prison. And while he was on his road to Damascus, he fell after hearing the voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Saul gets saved. And Saul is the one who's written approximately one half of the New Testament, a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering be conformed to his death. And you read about the, the travels and all the things that Saul went through. This man was convicted because he saw the resurrected Lord. I'm going to tell you something. It ought to be that powerful in our lives as well. And as he writes the story and he writes the scriptures, uh, the epistles to the church of Rome, he says, he was delivered for our transgression. This is Paul, a skeptic, raised for our justification. Justification is the act that God declares men free from the guilt and acceptable of him. Do you have that justification? He writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, is also risen. Who is risen even at the right, is sitting at the right hand of God, also making intercession for us. He wrote the great epistle to the Corinthians. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15, And if Christ is not risen, your faith... By the way, he's writing this some 25 years after he gotten saved. He says, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also, who? Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. He's saying, listen, if this is not a true story, then we're still in our sins. Christ uh, and those who have died are still uh, asleep. And where's eternity? If this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. He says in verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those fallen asleep. He says in verse 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen to that? And then he concludes this chapter, and he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, uh, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord because someday we're going to be standing in the presence of Jehovah. Amen to that? Amen and amen. Oh, I'm telling you, by the way, someday he's coming again. And that could be very soon. You know, after 50 days, and by the way, he walked on the, uh, this uh, earth for 40 days after his resurrection when he was ascending in Acts chapter 1, he says, while he was going, they were gazing into heaven, his disciples, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. He is coming again. Are you ready to meet him? If you had to stand in the presence of the Lord, has your sins been forgiven? Someday we're all going to die. Let me have heads bowed and eyes closed.
while heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Mark says, and then they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. The Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We're going to give an invitation this morning and having a baptism and all that. And those that are being baptized are going to be getting ready for that. But while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to give an invitation to each and every one of you that are here. If you were to die right now, do you know without a shadow of a doubt that you'll be spending eternity with him in heaven? All the singing this morning and all the presentation is to glorify God and to prepare our hearts now for this moment. For us to be honest with ourselves. As you look in your soul, you find a relationship with Jesus Christ. How would you describe that relationship with Jesus Christ? Can you say, I know without a shadow of a doubt that all of my sins have been forgiven. Someday I'll spend eternity in heaven. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you can say that, would you just slip up your hand as testimony of that and put your hand back down? I appreciate the honesty of folks this morning. And it's important to have a soul-searching time right now. Look into your soul and find whether Jesus Christ lives and abides inside and has taken away your sins. Have you developed a relationship with Him by asking Him to come into your heart? You say, Pastor, I haven't. But I know I'm a sinner. By the way, we all are sinners. This morning you say, I need to invite Him in. Why don't you invite Him in right now? If you believe that he died on the cross, buried, and he rose again for you. I've always believed this in my entire life. I've always believed this. But when I understood it was for me that he died, I invited him into my heart. So I want to ask you right now, if you want to make it personal and invite Christ into your heart to be your Lord and your Savior, to take away the eternal penalty of sin, to give you that wonderful relationship with Him and a home in heaven. Why don't you invite Him in right now? Will you do that? He stands at the door and knocks. If any man open that door, I'll come in and sup with him. He with me. Why don't you just pray right where you are? Lord, come into my heart and save me. Save me from the penalty of sin. Whether you realize it or not, when you invite him in and he comes into your heart, he'll save you from the power of sin as well. Everyone that had raised their hands previously knows how God has delivered them and given them a new life in Christ. If this morning you want to do that and are willing to do that, why don't you just slip up your hand and I'll pray with you this morning. Would you just slip up your hands and hold there for a second, all right? Several hands all over the auditorium. I'll include you in this closing prayer. Anyone else? Right where you sit, why don't you just ask Christ to come in. Father, you've seen many hands this morning. And I thank you for their willingness, Lord, to say, I want Jesus. And right now, Lord, I pray that you'll help them as they invite you into their heart. 
that they do it because the Holy Spirit is working on their heart, helping them to understand it. Lord, I'm so thankful I understood. That Jesus, yes, died for this world's sin, but he died for my sins. So right now we make it personal. Lord, come into my heart and save me from the penalty and power of sin and give me a home in heaven. Jesus' name. Keep our heads bowed for a moment. I dare say there's many others here this morning.